0: Amen. So I don't really have a bucket list. I don't have like a list of things I feel like I need to do uh, before I die. But if there was one thing that I was going to put on the bucket list, it would be to get out to California and spend like two weeks among the redwood trees out in California. Uh, I want to get a guided tour of them. I want to get a scientist explaining them to me. I want to see them. Touch them, be amazed by them, and be among them, not just for like a day, but for two weeks. They've always fascinated me. Up on the screen, you're going to see a picture of a redwood tree base. Now, granted, those are children, not adults, but still, the tree is enormous when you look at it. Coastal redwood trees are the tallest trees on the planet, They're the oldest living trees, and um, many people estimate that among the older trees on the coast of California, some of them have been alive for, conservatively, at least 2,200 years. Uh, They are so massive, their bark can be a foot thick. The natural resin uh, of these redwood trees, they're resistant to fungus, to bugs, even to fire. They stand through every season. In this next picture, you're going to see uh, like a vertical looking up shot at the redwoods. They can grow to at least 300 feet tall. The tallest redwood tree on record is 379 feet tall, which just as a reference point, that's over 100 feet taller than the U.S. Capitol building in Washington, D.C., where the Senate meets. Uh, that is 60 plus feet taller than the Statue of Liberty in New York City, one tree. They are enormous. Next picture, you're going to see uh, an image of a grown adult male walking through, and it looks like something out of a fantasy film. These trees are enormous, and here's what's crazy about them. See, my whole life, generally speaking, I've I've like heard and just assumed that a general rule is that the root system— of a tree is roughly as deep in the soil as the tree is tall above the dirt. Uh, it depends on the tree; S- some trees are different, but for many trees, on average, their root system goes 1.5 times deep as deep as the tree is tall. So, if it's a hundred foot tall tree, it might be 150 foot tall. Like it's it's a deep root system overall. So, I just assumed that. With redwood trees, if it's a 300-foot-tall tree, it'd be about a 300-foot-deep root system. But that is not the case at all. This next picture you're going to see is images of, granted, very young redwood trees. But this is where some dirt had been washed away and multiple redwood trees next to each other. You'll see their root system intertwining together. And amazingly enough, for these 300-plus-foot-tall trees— their root systems only go 6 to 12 feet deep. For a 300-plus-foot-tall tree, their roots only go 6 to 12 feet deep, and that is why. Because their root systems intertwine with other redwoods in their area. Um, Speaking of these trees, the California Department of Parks and Recreation, they say this, uh, and I found this on their website. I didn't call them just for this quote, but on their website, they say, These trees have shallow root systems that extend out over 100 feet from the base, intertwining with the roots of other redwoods. This increases their stability during strong winds and floods. And so if everything else I said earlier wasn't amazing enough, this is what really fascinates me. These gargantuan trees have roots that only go 6 to 12 feet deep. And the beauty of this is that the strength and stability and the health of an individual redwood tree is not determined by its own individual root system. The strength and stability of a redwood is decisively determined by how intertwined its roots are with the surrounding redwoods. Next picture up on the screen is an artist's rendering of what redwood trees roots look like in action. One Source I was reading said this, the intertwined root system provides stability to these mighty trees, quite literally holding one another down. Here's the point. A redwood tree could never grow to 300 feet tall in isolation. A redwood tree could never flourish and stand through a storm if it was alone in a field. They are decisively determined by how deeply intertwined and tight their root system is because those trees you see together are actually holding one another up and holding one another down. Now, you can probably guess where I'm going with the sermon today based on that illustration. You could say the rest of what I'm gonna say about life together in the church, and here it is. What I want for us to recognize is that life together in the church is supposed to look like that up on the screen. That my burden and my dream for this church is that we would be a church of redwoods, mighty, strong, and stable in our faith. And what I want us to recognize is that doesn't happen by you doing an awesome job on your own. That will only happen if we intertwine our lives together like that up on the screen. Now, don't worry. You can't do that with 150 people. But you can do that with three, five, nine, twelve other people here and have your life intertwined in the love of God and the community of his people. So do me a favor and grab your Bible up on the screen. You are going to see the passage for today, Ephesians 4, verses 7 to 16 is where we are going to jump in. And uh, if you were here last week, you'll know that was the sermon passage last week. And you may be thinking, wow, is Mark getting really lazy? i just doing the same passage again? Uh, friend, the answer is no. Uh, this was always the plan, two weeks in this one passage. And so last week was basically like, hey, zooming out. Let's unpack this passage. Let's see what it says. Let's get God's word to reorient our understanding of church. And last week was mainly unpacking the text itself, Today is going to mainly be an exhortation and a rebuke and a call to action and a let's get specific about how to apply this here at Center Church. And so if you're just joining us today, welcome, great. Uh, if you missed last week, that is part one. This is part two. So if you missed last week, even if you're always like if you're consistent at this church, if you missed last week, please go back on YouTube or the podcast to listen to last week, because much of what I said last Sunday, uh, is foundational for what I'm going to apply us with today. And so the idea of Ephesians 4, 7 to 16, is this summary of the victory of Jesus after the resurrection, after he ascended back to heaven. Basically, Ephesians 4 is answering, now what? (laughs) Jesus has ascended back to heaven. Now what? What do we do And this passage explains how Jesus shapes and gifts and directs the church and basically how he's designed it to function for our good and for his glory. Now, before I read it, would you please join me in prayer? And as I often say at this moment, don't just listen to me pray. I'm making a moment for us as a church family to pray. This is what the early church did. They prayed together when they gathered. So as I pray would you please join me in prayer as well? God, we commit to you this day. God, we commit to you this time. We love your word, and we want your word to shape and form and lead and sustain this church. Jesus, thank you that you are the conquering king. Jesus, thank you that you have ascended back to heaven. And I ask that you would gift this church like what we're about to read I ask that we would do church the way you made church to be done. So come, Holy Spirit, and speak. My words are not sufficient. This time cannot make it happen. We are utterly, completely, totally dependent on you. So come, Holy Spirit, and burn this word into our hearts and our souls and our minds. We are your people. Do what you please among us for your glory. And in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Look with me at Ephesians 4, verse 7 says the following. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Pause right there. So I'm going to read the passage and then kind of give a running commentary along the way, uh, verse by verse. And I just want you to notice verse 7. Notice it says, grace was given to each one of us. And this grace is not just like forgiveness grace. It, It is gracious gifts. Jesus giving us more than what we deserve. And notice it says, each one of us. So friend, hear me. Every one of you is included in the each one of us. This passage is for you. This passage is for every single person at Center Church. And as I read this Ephesians 4 passage, notice how often it's plural. Each one of us, we, the saints, the body, every joint, every part of the body working together. Notice the plural. This isn't just you flourishing as an individual. This is us together. Ephesians 4 verse 8, let's continue. It says, Therefore, it says, and this is a quote of Psalm 68 when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So, Paul's quoting Psalm 68, which is speaking about Yahweh, about God uh, ascending Mount Sinai after saving Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And then, essentially, Paul is saying, Jesus went on a victory parade after he ascended back to heaven. Like he, he didn't just resurrect from the dead and then kind of disappear. Jesus ascending back to heaven was, in a sense, the victory parade. And then it says, and he gave gifts to men. This is Jesus gifting the church, in a sense, to conquer Satan, sin, hell, and death, and to reestablish the kingdom of God on earth. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. So notice Paul saying the ascent and the descent of Christ. After the resurrection, Jesus ascended back to heaven. And um, essential to understand before that, Christmas morning, as he says, he descended to the earth. So this is Jesus leaving heaven to come to us, and then Jesus physically leaving earth to return to heaven. Verse 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended, far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Oh, that's a great image, verse 10. Uh, Jesus ascended in order to fill all things, to fill the cosmos again. Everywhere that sin has fractured creation, everywhere that sin has brought sorrow and addiction and bondage and brokenness, Jesus is going to, in a sense, step back into the room. Bring the light and life of God and fill the creation again with the goodness of God. Verse 11, it continues. And he, being Jesus, gave the apostles. So the apostles are two senses of the word. Um, capital A apostles. Peter, James, John, Paul, those who are the, the writers of the New Testament scripture for us. But also lowercase a apostles. In a continuing sense. There's no more uppercase A apostles, but lowercase A apostles. Those who are gifted by God with a pioneering spirit to go where the ministry needs to advance, to go where the name of Jesus is not known, loved, and revered. Apostles, they take new ground for the kingdom. It says Jesus gifts the church with apostolically wired leaders who go. Continues on. And he gave the apostles the prophets, Prophets are those who are wired by God to speak the truth of God to the people of God, to call them to faithful living for God. The prophetically gifted leaders are calling God's people to faithful service to him. Continues on. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. Evangelists is not just people who work at a church. For all of these five giftings, do not think that this is just people who get a paycheck at Center Church, uh, the elders or the deacons. Uh, th- this is the leaders of the church, lay leadership or staff, uh, people who are gifted by God in this capacity. Friend, you might work at a bank. You might work at a school. You might be at home with the kids and you might fit category three, an evangelistically gifted person. Someone who's gifted and burden to bring the good news of Jesus to people who don't yet know Jesus. To lead them to say, yes, you don't have to be on staff at a church. You don't have to have a title at church to be one of these categories. The evangelists go out to fulfill the Great Commission. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds. Uh, Most translations will just say the pastors. So it's this idea of a shepherding pastor. The one who's responsible to feed the flock, lead the flock, protect the flock. The pastors, the shepherds called to lead, continues on, and the teachers. Once again, a recognized leadership position at the church or not, a lay leader or not, but someone who's gifted by God, up front in a large setting, or around a table at a community group with seven other people. Those who are gifted to teach and explain and apply the good news of the Bible to the people of God. So notice, those are giftings, those are leaders in the church. What is their job description? What are they supposed to do? Why are they there? Here's the answer. Verse 12, right away. Notice what the leaders of the church are called to do. Verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So do you want to know what the the leadership of the church is supposed to do. Once again, not just staff, elders, and deacons. People who are leading in the life of the church. Do you know their job description for the rest of the church? It is this, verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. The point of church is to equip each one of us to get to work in every area of life. And please recognize that the work of ministry This is not just something like you volunteer at church once a month and you check that box. This work of ministry is all of your life. This is the way you neighbor. This is the way you bear witness to Christ with integrity at work. This is the way you love and shepherd and discipline and raise those precious children in your house. The work of ministry is all of your life headed towards King Jesus' work. That is the job of the leadership of the church, to build a culture, to build systems, not to pamper you, not to put you back in the lazy boy and put some slippers on you and make your life more comfortable. We want to bless you, serve you, encourage you. We want to carve out space for you to rest and heal and then get you to work for Jesus. None of you said amen. Okay. Where is this headed? Verse 13 Until we all attained the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, I said last week when it says to mature manhood, uh, this is not at all um, excluding the ladies. This is not some kind of sexist comment like masculinity is the ideal. Not at all. Uh, A perfectly legitimate translation would be to mature personhood like holistically, and notice what Paul ties this maturity to. Notice Paul says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There should be a family resemblance between us and King Jesus. We should just look like Jesus, both individually and as a church body. Once again, this is a corporate passage And the kicker here is, we together can't look like Jesus if we as individuals aren't being transformed to look like Jesus. But hear me, this is not just you. Our church should remind people of what Jesus looks like. There should be a family resemblance. Like, oh yeah, I see it. And how often do churches look nothing like Jesus? What a tragedy to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, so that, look at that, causal statement. This is headed somewhere. So that (coughs) we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Friend, there's a way of life where you aren't tossed to and fro by the waves. It is possible for you to live in a way that you're not tossed to and fro by the latest fad, that you're not overcome by the newest scary headline, that you're not manipulated by the algorithm on social media, that you don't fall prey to that new hot teaching on YouTube. Did you know that you can flourish in stability in this crazy world. Far too many Christians look like a four-year-old being tossed around by the waves. Let's grow up. In contrast to instability, in contrast to being gullible and easily deceived, in contrast to following the narratives of our culture, In contrast, letting the script of the world lead us rather than the truth of God. Look at verse 15. This is what church should feel like. Rather, instead of childish instability, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. Oh my goodness, is that all-encompassing and uncomfortable. There's no rock unturned in our life. There's no area outside of the claim of Jesus. There's nothing that we just go, nope, not opening that door. Speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. My question for you is, does anyone here at Center Church know your life well enough that they can speak the truth in love to you? Does anyone know the patterns of your life and the choices that you make in private and the manner of your life in depth enough that they can, with knowledge, speak the truth and love to you? See, the mistake that we often make is that we do church like we do so many other consumeristic environments that we do in life, whether it be Costco or the AMC Theater or Ikea. Uh, I... Uh, took, so my wife and I took the girls to Ikea for the first time a couple weeks ago as a family adventure, and it was wonderful and terrible all at the same time, uh, because our girls had some Christmas money, and we said, hey, girls, let's go to Ikea, and they'd never been before, and we said, let's go, and you don't get to decide everything you buy, because it's my house, and I'm not putting everything in there, but you can ask, and we can work together to decide how to spend your money. And we went into Ikea, and it was awesome. I, I know I joked, but it was wonderful. A great family time. Uh, we got the Swedish meatballs, and the girls were like, I love Ikea. <laughs> so we're going to make it an annual tradition. And we're walking around Ikea. It was wonderful. Um, but I swear, those designers of that store, they know how to wear down your willpower to resist. <laughs> because at first, it was like easy. It's like, no, you don't need that. No, that's not a wise purchase. But by the end, I was like, fine, buy the eighth potted plant that you don't need, because I was so tired by how long the store was. But here's the interesting thing with Ikea. We walked around that day for hours and saw hundreds, maybe a thousand people that day. I interacted with dozens of people, looked them in the eye, said, happy new year, How was your Christmas? How's the New Year treating you? I asked questions of employees. I talked to people. Like, I had actual interactions. I saw hundreds of people. And besides my wife and my children, zero of them could have spoken into my life in any way knowing what's happening. And the tragedy is many, many, many people make the mistake of doing church like I did Ikea. And they think, well, I smiled at someone in the lobby. I know that guy's name. I don't know his name, so I just say, hey, bro. Just called you out. If you call someone, hey, bro, in the lobby, (laughs) now your cover's blown. Um, we, We think because we smile at someone at church and do things that we're doing church. No. Does anyone here at this church know your life well enough? To speak the truth in love regarding your sexuality, your money, your schedule, the way you handle conflict, that bitterness you're struggling with. Does anyone know your life well enough? To Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. If no one here knows your life up close, you're not doing church right. And if this is your second week here, don't worry. We have realistic expectations. (laughs) Give it some time. But like trajectory, where's your life headed? Does anyone here know your life well enough to rebuke you? The tragedy is so many people join a community group and open up 65% of the way. That's not the way Jesus designed church. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, notice again the plurality of that image, the whole body, all of us, the whole body joined and held together. Think about that image of the redwood trees, the root system intertwined. Your life should feel like it's joined and held together with people here. Joined and held together by every joint that's you. Not some joints, every joint by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, that's you again, not some parts, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That is the type of growth I want at Center Church. We don't care about numerical growth. We're glad however many people God wants to bring here. What we are chasing is growing in that way to build ourselves up in love. And what I want to give the rest of my life to is seeing Ephesians 4 fulfilled in a local church May God do that here. So that was a lot that I just read. There's a lot there. Let me sum it up, up on the screen. Two ideas for you. What is the call for us? First off, we are to mature, speak the truth in love, and do the work of ministry. That, that's summing up verses 14 to 16. That is what Jesus designed church to do. That, that was, so that first line is basically last week. Like that, that was my attempt last week to like take a wrecking ball through the American preconceived notions of church being for my comfort and my convenience and to reinforce my preferences. That's not his design for church. Let's grow up. Let's get to work. And let's look more like Jesus and mature. That was last week, point one. Today, this is what I want to drive home. If that's going to happen, the first idea... That doesn't happen by accident. Secondly, today, here it is. We must join our lives together in order to see Ephesians 4 fulfilled at Center Church. Today is the call to action. Today is the, all right, that's what's true, Ephesians 4, get going. And my hope here is not that like we all run out like chickens with their heads cut off. Ah, Let's just get to work. That, that's not the point of today. Remember that opening image, redwood tree, root systems growing together, mutual dependence, intertwining our lives together. That's what I'm going to lead us to today. Because far too often, we do church like I did Ikea. And what that leads to is a weak church. What that leads to is weak Christians. And I was especially struck by that this week as I was... um, reading Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. So tomorrow is MLK Jr. Day. And I was just reflecting on that this past week and and reading his letter from a Birmingham jail and thinking about just ethnic divisions in our country still to this day and strife and brokenness still to this day. And as I was reading MLK Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail, I was struck by something. Uh, If you're not familiar with it, this is during the Civil Rights Movement and MLK had come to Birmingham, Alabama, and was leading peaceful protests, nonviolent action, to raise awareness to the unjust treatment of the African-American community in, in Birmingham, Alabama. And as he was thrown in jail, MLK Jr., a pastor, wrote a letter to other pastors in Birmingham, and he said the following. And this is a long quote, but stick with me, right? Thinking about community among Christians, doing life together. Here it is. M. K. M.O.K. wrote the following. There was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It, the church, was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven. What an image! Christians together, a colony of heaven, called to obey God rather than man, small in number. It's not about the size of the church. It's about the quality of depth. Small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too God intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated by their effort and example. They brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contests. Things are different now. Remember this, he wrote this in the 60s. Things are different now. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. That first line I read gripped me this week. There was a time when the church was very powerful. And that last line grieved me. Things are different now. And there are many reasons for churches being stronger or churches being weaker. There's many contributing factors, okay? Just talking about one right now, with community. Obviously, right theology and right belief is essential. Absolutely. But if churches don't have people aligning their lives together, they become weak. And when MLK Jr. said, there was a time when the church was strong, my heart was lit aflame for what we could be as a church. You see, the tragedy of what MLK Jr. was facing was that at that time, people were excluding African American men and women from their church. And they were not allowing their brothers and sisters in Christ to be in fellowship with them. Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 6 talks about the foundation for our unity is one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Jesus Christ is The basis for our unity. Right theology about Jesus leads to right living. And the tragedy that MLK Jr. was addressing was that people weren't uniting around Jesus. They were basing their unity on the external skin color of people. And they were wickedly dividing up the church of Jesus Christ based on ethnicity. How wicked. And this is where I want to warn us as a church. Let's not fall into the trap that C.S. Lewis talked about of cultural, historical snobbery where we look down our noses at others in the past and go, well, how could they make that mistake? I wouldn't have made that mistake if I was there. How, what are they thinking? And we judge the past for believing certain lies because we don't believe those lies all the while we believe other lies that divide the church. I thank God that our context isn't like Birmingham, Alabama in the 50s. I thank God for that. There's still work to be done, but I thank God that this is not that. But you had better believe we are very vulnerable to division. We are very vulnerable to rupturing the unity of the church when we get outside of Ephesians 4, 1-6, one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism politics and so many of the cultural issues are dividing church after church after church and what's happening is as MOK Jr. said so often the contemporary church is weak budgets don't make a church strong preaching is not what ultimately makes a church strong the staff is not decisive it is the redwood tree image of roots intertwined Is your life intertwined with the people of God in any meaningful way? Does anyone know you well enough to speak the truth in love? If not, you're not doing church right. So let me call us to action. Let me remind us church should not feel like Ikea and my family. You must link your life up with the people of God. So here's the call to action today. Look up at the screen and you'll see what I am exhorting and challenging us as a congregation to step into. Really, the application for today is I want to ask you, if you call this church home, if you're settling in here to become a family member of Center Church so you can link up with us. So at this time, I'm gonna ask you to lean forward and you'll see this uh, document printed out and under your seat, go ahead and grab this document. I'm gonna walk us through it. Uh, don't worry, it will not bite you. Uh, go ahead, lean forward, grab this document. And this is our family membership uh, explained and printed out for you. Now, I'm not gonna go through all this word for word, but I'm gonna zip through it. And here it is, two, two calls, two applications. If you are not yet a member, And if you are going to call this church home, I'm asking you to become a family member, to do church the way Ephesians 4 calls us to do church. Uh, If you already are a member, uh, and I see so many of your wonderful faces here who are members, thank you, you are a blessing, but I want to call you, even if you are a family member, this doesn't exclude you, (laughs) I want to ask you to read and prayerfully reflect through this commitment again this week. And rededicate yourself like never before. So if you're a member, you are not off the hook. We got homework for you as well. Uh, but secondly, if you're new to the church, if you've just begun coming and you don't even know if you're gonna call this church home, we're not trying to strong arm you into membership right now. It's fine. Keep exploring. Keep considering. But I'll tell you, this document will show you what our church is and what we expect. And we wanna consider, invite you to consider that long-term. All right, so looking at this Look at the bottom of page one. You'll see there it says uh, there are dozens of unto one another commands in the New Testament. A couple examples given. Love one another. Serve one another. Forgive one another. Teach one another. And this commitment is basically our attempt to summarize and synthesize like the teaching of the New Testament and the dozens of unto one another commands basically lives in this document. We, we try to take all of those, like 40 plus, and make it into one document for this. Go ahead and flip it over and look at the back of page two. Page two, the structure of this commitment is three big ideas. Uh, first off, the theological commitment. What members commit to is to align with the theological statement of Center Church. Uh, Us historically aligning with the teaching of Scripture, what we believe as a family is part one. Part two, you'll see there, it's our relational commitment. Because you know what? Right theology is not enough to be a healthy Christian. Right theology is not enough to be a healthy church. We've got to relate and interact differently Section two is the relational commitments of how we interact with one another. And then section three, uh, the culture of care commitment, um, how we care for one another. That's basically an extended unpacking of Ephesians 4 verse 15, how to speak the truth in love to one another, how to say the hard thing and call one another out of sin. That's section three. We'll get to that shortly. So look at page three. Page four, Uh, you'll see there our theological statement. Uh, Points one to 10 is the Evangelical Free Church of America, their statement. And then we, uh, the elders, adopted points 11 and 12. We wrote those for the church specifically. It's about the image of God, sexuality, marriage, and what we align with for biblical teaching there. Uh, Flip on over to page six, the relational commitment. Page six, we've got 10 Commitments there, Uh, and you might be thinking, my goodness, 10 commitments? You should just be thanking us. We didn't list the four dozen unto us commandments in the New Testament, so we shrunk it down, 10 ideas. I want to highlight one quick thing. Look at point four. The call of a member is to develop unity, to proactively work for unity in this church amidst the diversity of our church family. So the call is not just to, like, avoid gossip. That's easy. The call is to develop unity and intertwine our lives together. Look at point five, community. That first line is, I will develop Christ-centered friendships with others where I am known. Friend, don't just join a community group. Be vulnerable in your community group. Too many people attend a group and they're 65% open. And nobody can speak the truth and love to them because they're not open with confessing sin. See, this idea of point five, this is the redwood trees root system intertwining together, 300 plus foot tall tree, eight feet deep root system. Your strength as a Christian will largely be impacted by point five, how deep in authentic biblical community is your life. Friend, don't just attend church like I did Ikea intertwine your life with others. And then if you flip it on over to point eight, uh, culture of care, like I said before, this culture of care is basically how we do Ephesians 4, verse 15. This is how we speak the truth in love. This is how we exhort and challenge and hold accountable and rebuke and build up and go, hey, I love you, but I'm concerned about this area of your life. What's going on? Let's talk about that. Section three is how we do this, where we care for one another. Friend, if you know someone at church who is falling into a dangerous pattern it is unloving to say nothing. The point of church is to speak the truth in love, and that is what this section speaks about. So you may be wondering, how, how do I do this? Well, how do I sign up? What do I do next? Well, uh, in the weekly email on Tuesday and over social media this week, you will see promo for how to sign up, it's going to take you to our website. Uh, You'll see up on the screen, our website's listed. You could go there if you wanted to be an overachiever this afternoon. Uh, But this Tuesday and in the coming email, you'll see a link to sign up that'll take you to an online pathway to bring you through membership. But here's what I want to ask everyone. If you are a member already, please, this applies to you. Take this home. Reflect on it, pray through it, and ask God to convict you wherever you're off. And may you rededicate yourself anew. Uh, If you are uh, calling this church home, maybe you've been coming for a couple of months or for nine months or for two years, and you've just never done this yet, I'm going to lovingly challenge you. If you're going to make this church your home, please do the redwood tree root thing and become a family member. This will enrich your life more than I can say and help you not do it the IKEA way. And if you're new to the church, you're not yet decided, we're not pressuring you. I'm not going to be having people sign up as they walk out the door. No guilt at all. But if you want to meet to talk more and ask questions, I'd be glad to meet with you. Well, the worship team is going to come up right now and lead us in a time of worship and prayer. And uh, last slide up on the screen, you're going to see a summary of the Ephesians 4 passage and an invitation to pray. And this was the same thing we prayed through last week as a church family in service. And we're going to put this up again on the screen during the worship set after this next song. And guess what? We're going to pray again. Because we still need to pray more. And I want to ask you to pray and pray and pray Ephesians 4 over this church, and Adiana will lead us into that momentarily. But would you stand with us? Would you join us in this response time of worship and prayer? And may God make Ephesians 4 a reality among us for decades to come. Jesus, we are so glad you won. We are so glad you have ascended back to heaven. We're so thankful that you gave gifts. We're so grateful for life together in the church. And we ask you to make Ephesians 4 a reality at Center Church. May we not be like children, tossed to and fro, but may we be mature like Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, do your work among us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.